Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, my listening friends, to the Gospel Grace radio broadcast. You are now tuned in to a weekly radio broadcast that serves the North Mississippi area, proclaiming the Gospel of Grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm Joe Nettles. I welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise as well. We pastor Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. Both churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we want to see you come through the door. Visit our website, gospel-of-grace.com. And we thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll make it a happy habit. Today, we're going to continue on with a series of messages regarding the good confession of our Lord Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. The name of the series is A Good Confession. And right after this hymn, we'll be back with today's message. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turned in my King James translation to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read verses 12 through 16. Now, I tried to preach the first installment of this series of messages regarding a good confession. Last time I was with you here on the Gospel of Grace, and we read from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 12 through 16. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Last time we addressed this passage of scripture regarding the good confession of the Lord Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate during his kangaroo court right before his crucifixion, we brought to your mind how that he was charged as being the king of the Jews by Pontius Pilate 
And the Lord Jesus Christ said, thou sayest. In other words, he was saying, yes, that's exactly who I am. And we tried to remind you and exhort you, according to the word of God, that we need to be who we are. And if we are bought with a price, if we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you need not be ashamed of that. No, you need to own it, confess it, rejoice in it, even if all the way to the whipping post or to the martyr's post where we'll be burned at the stake. Because my friends, there is great power in our confession of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at some of the other statements of the Lord Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. Go with me now to John chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 33 through 36. John 18, 33 through 36. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Friends, this world, like those Jews that were in Christ's day when he lived and walked and talked upon the face of the earth, they will not necessarily hate you for what you do, but rather for whom you do it, if you do it in the name of the Lord. Oh, you can say, well, you know, I love all mankind. But if you say, I love all mankind in the name of Jesus Christ, they'll find a distinct difference in that. They will hate uh, the latter while they were readily embracing and just get all gooey over the former statement that I love all the world. You see, when you do good things, good works, and have a good confession in the name of Jesus Christ, we're told by the Lord that these things will not be popular. They never have been. Because we belong, my friends, to a spiritual kingdom. And things in the spiritual kingdom do not behave as does any earthly kingdom. Now, his spiritual kingdom, not enthralled with the material, it enrages this world. We often see people uh, who are well-meaning, but who are off the mark. And thinking that the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ had a goal to establish an earthly kingdom. In fact, they take it so far as to interpret many of the statements in the Word of God in the New Testament as thinking that Jesus will literally come and be seated in a throne over in the Middle East in Jerusalem one day, will reign and dwell for a thousand years here upon this earth, and at the end of that thousand years will then resurrect the wicked, and there will be the great tribulation, things of that nature. Now, friends, there's a lot that can be said about that. I'm not going to try to preach on that subject while I'm here with you today. But many people fall into that and follow that because their focus is on Christ being an earthly king over an earthly kingdom. Many people go over to the book of Ezekiel and the prophetic temple in Ezekiel, beginning in the uh, description of it in Ezekiel chapter 40 through the end of the, the book. And they will read that and they'll automatically assume that that's going to be built on this terrestria, this earth in which we live one day. When friends, I would posit for you today that that temple that's being described in Ezekiel chapter 40 through uh, 48 that we are seeing there is a description, my friends, in a physical, material way 
of the reality of Jesus Christ. You see, the Jews had a great tabernacle slash temple problem. The greatest problem was that it kept being destroyed. You see, they had the tabernacle. They left from the tabernacle. Solomon's temple was built. Well, then Solomon's temple was ultimately destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. Well, then we read about a second temple that was built. Not as illustrious, not as grand. But then we see throughout the annals of history uh, that the Greeks tore it to smithereens. And then we see in the days of Jesus Christ, Herod was rebuilding a temple, a grand structure. So even so that the apostles marveled at the splendor of it. But yet in AD 70, the Roman army led by Titus, tore it to the ground. You see, they had a problem with the temple enduring with them. But see, Jesus Christ gave them the vision of a splendorous temple. A temple that, if you looked at its dimensions, if you looked at the way it was given, it's not really a blueprint. There were no heights given. Very rarely was a height uh, noted. And you don't build a, a building, a house, without knowing how tall things are going to be. There are many inconsistencies with this having been a literal blueprint for a building that was to be built or should be built here upon the face of this earth. The Jews never understood it that way. Hence, Herod was building a temple which looked nothing like this temple in Ezekiel. But yet, we could show you many ways that this temple pointed to the one tabernacle the Word, as John spoke in John chapter 1, verse 14, he said, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That dwelt among us means he tabernacled among us. You see that uh, physical building that was alluded to in the prophecy of Ezekiel represented the fulfillment and uh, spiritual reality of the enduring ministry of Jesus Christ in the hearts and the minds of his people. Not of physical buildings, not of brick, stone, mortar, stained glass windows, and spires. No, this is speaking of a spiritual kingdom. And it makes sense because Christ is not like any earthly king. He said, uh, the kingdom of God dwelleth in you. And uh, so it's an inwardly experienced and felt thing. Oh, yes, we see one another when we gather together in the church. That's a manifestation of this kingdom. But that's really, when you come down to it, what you're seeing are just the earthly bodies. But what you're seeing going on inside those earthly bodies is the moving of Jesus Christ in the soul and spirit. And we see the expression of it. You see, it's a spiritual kingdom. He is seated in the heart, Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. So let's look at Christ as, uh, how likely would it be to be an earthly king? Not very likely. You see, he did not raise funds to exalt himself. Any funds that were given to Jesus and the apostles were given unto the poor. This enraged Judas Iscariot, and I believe was one of the primary compulsions he had to forsake uh, Jesus Christ, because he saw he was never going to get wealthy by holding the bag for Jesus and these apostles. You know, no earthly king is going to raise funds for the poor. He's going to raise funds to exalt himself. Another thing Jesus did not do is he didn't encourage violent rebellion. You know, when you had uh, oppressors as the Roman Empire, it would be very easy for a man who desired to be king to want to gather together a resistance and to try to overthrow the uh, powers that be. But Jesus never encouraged violent rebellion. No, and all, uh, to the contrary, he quashed it. 
You know, he encouraged paying taxes lawfully to the Roman government that was in control. He said, render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's. He never told us, well, no, refuse to give anything to Caesar. You just give it to me and we'll take this thing over. No, he didn't. He encouraged paying taxes lawfully. Now, what sower of sedition and rebel is going to do that? No earthly king. Friends, he specifically told people to not publish his great works. How many times we read in the gospels that Jesus would heal someone and then he would tell them, see that thou tell no man. Friends, uh, a man who has uh, aspirations to be an earthly king, he wants as good a publicity as he can get. And often, as often as he does something good, he'll want it publicized vociferously. But Jesus did not do that. You know, he never spent time disparaging the Roman authority, which granted was very evil and oppressive. He didn't come to do that. He didn't come to tear down man's earthly government, but yet he came to give us a power that is able to supersede earthly government. It is the power of the spirit of a child of grace that can have the fortitude and the strength of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God that uh, change can be wrought, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. Change in an interpersonal level that starts to spread like a pleasant, uh, a pleasant uh, leavening throughout the entire lump of a nation. So he never disparaged the Roman authorities, which, of course, if a man had aspirations to be an earthly king, he would have done that. He never tried to curry favor with those in powerful positions of authority. No, more often than not, uh, he uh, rebuked them with a righteous rebuke. Well, a man who has aspirations of being an earthly king won't do that. He'll want to fluff and stuff as many powerful people as he can to get them on his side and to curry favor. You know, he never befriended himself to the wealthy. Now, I'm not saying he didn't love wealthy men. I'm not saying he didn't at times draw close to wealthy people. Uh, we see uh, examples of that in the, in the word of God. But Jesus Christ typically befriended himself to the despised publicans who were despised of the people, to poor fishermen that had no influence or uh, a cachet among the people. That's who Jesus befriended himself to, not to the wealthy, not to the powerful, and not to the influential. Jesus never tried to advance a sophisticated or gaudy presentation of himself in his dress, in his manner, in his countenance. No, he didn't stand out. The only thing that stood out about Jesus Christ was that this man spake like never a man spake. He was the son of God. He spoke perfectly. He loved perfectly. He preached perfectly. But he didn't spend time worrying about what he was wearing, the shoes on his feet, and whether he had a fancy turban upon his head. No. And a man who desires to be an earthly king, he's going to try to dress for success, so to speak. And finally, though Jesus manifested power to overcome violent attempts on his life, uh, he suffered himself to be crucified. We see more than once that people desired to stone or cast Jesus down a hill, but he simply walked away from them. Why? Because he was all God. But yet then there came to the end of his life, he suffered himself to be crucified. Even though he himself said he could call unto his father, pray unto his father, and 12 legions of angels, that's around 72,000 angels, would come down readily at his command. But yet he didn't do that. Jesus Christ did not desire to rule over an earthly kingdom. And friends, what we need to desire is not earthly wealth and earthly fame. 
earthly popularity. No, but we should desire a closer spiritual walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who dwells in our hearts. We should desire to know more about him, that the one who fills our hearts can also fill our minds, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, sweet fellowship, it is just to dwell with Jesus Christ. The apostles did it while they were in prison. They had power in Jesus Christ. They were never more exalted in a kingdom than they were when they were seen as the most base among men. And our Lord has never changed. Our Lord is not concerned about your building projects. The Lord is not concerned about taking over uh, the government of the United States of America and getting uh, a preacher elected as president so that he could set this country straight. No, my friends, the only one who'll ever be able to correct the ills and the problems of the United States of America is the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually working in the hearts of his people. And those people then following that spiritual compulsion in doing those things which are right. Loving your neighbor, not talking smack and trash about them on Facebook. Oh, friends, well, I pray the Lord would help us to be those lively stones built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, that our focus would not be on buildings, parking lots, family life centers, games, trips, entertainments, and things of that nature, but in simply humbling ourselves and seeking in the inner man a closer walk and talk with the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells with us. Now, let's look at another of the confession statements of the Lord Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. In John chapter 18, verse 37, we read, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Notice Christ confessed that truth is not of this world. He's not of this world. And only those who are of him or of the truth will hear his blessed truth. See, what he's plainly inferring and teaching here is that there is a people in this world. There are people in this world who heed the commands of the source of truth, God, over whom Pontius Pilate nor any other governor nor president has any prevailing authority. He said, there are people in this world and they're under your thumb, but yet at the same time, you will never own them. They will never ultimately do your bidding, but yet they will follow me living in their hearts. He said, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Oh, friends, I would to God that this could be preached loudly in pulpits, claiming the name of Jesus Christ throughout this country and especially in the North Mississippi area. Friends, we must realize something, that if you have an enduring love for truth, the truth of the Lord, then that didn't come upon you by happenstance, and it's not something that you conjured up within yourself by any of your uh, own intellectual capacity and ability and choice-making. No, my friends, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners is a special supernatural communication from God the Father in heaven. It is Jesus in you speaking unto you. 
Friends, today, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not trying to get you saved for heaven. You've already been saved for heaven because otherwise you would never believe in him unless his spirit dwelt in your heart and had revealed this unto you. You see, that prevailing voice of God, which supersedes and drowns out any of the rattlings of civil magistrates and civil rulers or presidents or kings in this world, begins, as we see in John chapter 5, verses 24 through 25. Notice this prevailing voice. It's in the form of a quickening voice. What does it mean to be quickened? It means to be born again, to be animated from death to life. In John 5, verses 24 through 25, Jesus plainly taught, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Now, let's break it down. What's he saying? He that heareth, who is presently hearing the words coming out of my mouth. Obviously, he's not talking about the vibrations of his vocal cords strictly. Anyone with physical ears can hear that. But he's talking about the word of his grace, the words of his truth, the words of his kingship the words of his eternal essence and Godhead and power. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Not only is this person a presently a hearer of the word of God and believer of it, but they also believe on God the Father, the creator of this universe, or, or the, the father of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son. He, he's a believer already. He's a hearer already. He says, if anyone finds himself in this state, he hath. That means he's already in possession of everlasting life. Now, typical Christianity today would say, he that will hear the word and believe on him can then obtain everlasting life. That's not at all what Jesus taught, and it never was taught. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, that means already is in possession of everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is past. Not going to be, not trying to be but is passed from death unto life. Oh, my friends, what in the world could traverse one from being a dead and alien sinner, contrary to God and outside of his fellowship, to being one who is desiring the Lord, loving the Lord, believing in the Lord, and wanting to confess the Lord? Friends, he's already passed from death unto life because of what he says in verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. Here he said, this is something that you're going to see continue to happen, and that is presently happening. Those That is what Jesus taught. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Now you may say, Brother Joe, you're taking that out of context. He's talking about the resurrection of the body. I believe in the resurrection of the body, you may say, but I do not believe that he has to give the quickening voice before someone can believe that Jesus is the Lord. Notice, friends, he goes to speak about the bodily resurrection a little bit later. In John 5, 28 through 29, he says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. In the Notice he didn't say now, for the hour is coming and now is, as he did earlier. He said, this is something that is yet to come. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which. That means within an hour, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. That 
is the Lord teaching about the bodily resurrection. Earlier, he was speaking of the quickening or the giving of life to the immortal soul. And until that is done, one will never see his need for Christ, feel his need for Christ, desire Christ. No, my friends, God is not in all of his thoughts. He is totally at ease in this world like a hog in the slop, like a hog in the sunshine. He desires nothing better. Friend, the, the spirit of God guides us to truth. That prevailing voice guides us to truth. Notice the words of, of Jesus in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 41. Here he's speaking to some unbelieving, hateful Jews that were lying against him, that wanted him dead. He said to them, ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. But Jesus, you know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, God is all of our father. Uh, no, Jesus is about to plainly teach. Uh-uh, you, you better back up and lick that calf again. That's not so, because notice the words of Jesus. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, notice that, if God were your father, that's the predicating uh, statement right there. That has to be what's so. If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Because they didn't understand his speech. Oh, they understood what he said long enough to get mad, but they didn't understand it well enough for it to, to mean anything in their heart and soul. They saw themselves as free of sin. They saw themselves as never being in bondage to any man. But here they didn't realize that they're under the bondage of a sin-cursed earth and a sin-cursed body, and they will be left at that final day unto their own devices before the book of the law of God. But friends, Praise be unto God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today at that final day. You will not be left to your own defense. You will not be left to any of your own goodness because you have none and you have no defense. But I'll tell you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, good news, my friends. You have a friend in the court. You have a counselor. You have a daysman, my friends. You have a wonderful intercessor and mediator who will stand for you at that day as the word, the logos, the only record of goodness that you could ever desire. And it will already have been applied to you by his life-giving word. And he will stand and say, Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me. Oh, praise him for his grace. Why do you not understand my speech? He asked them, Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Now wait, somebody may say, even wicked and reprobates can believe the Pythagorean law, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Even uh, a wicked, unregenerate can believe the truth of gravity. We're not talking about just natural truths here, my friends. We're not talking about mathematical equations here. We're talking about the truth that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the son of the everlasting father. He is all man, but all God. He says, and because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin or convicteth me of sin? Here Jesus said, I'm free of sin. And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. Friends, go back and read that. And ask yourself, am I receiving help to misunderstand that? That is about as plain as it can get. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, my friends, he made you that way. 
You belong to him. You belong to him before the foundation of the world. Jesus came to die for you. And the only reason you see your need of a Savior is because he already dwells in your heart. He's made himself known unto you. And now you need to confess him and follow him and rejoice in him daily. Oh, my friends, that prevailing voice. No president could ever drown it out and no king could ever burn it away. No, my friends, it's Jesus Christ. What a wonderful confession he gave before Pontius Pilate. Until we're able to speak with you again on these wonderful subjects, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all richly. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.